Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Kate Jinx. And I'm Brody Lancaster. Jinxy, we're Zooming again. I know. Every week it's like, we're back. Everything's back to normal. Here we are in the <laughs> same room and it's such a delight like, every single week. But uh, my partner had a little bit of an accident. She's fine, but I did drive across, you know, as two states essentially. State to, lines. Um, yeah, to come and see her and travel with Top Chef. So yeah, it's been uh it's been a, a big a big two days of, of driving. Yeah. What did you what did you do to keep yourself occupied on the drive? I don't normally do the audiobook thing. I just thought I'll just catch up on all the podcasts, you know. Normally on like a long road trip, I would listen to music for about two hours and then switch to podcasts. Mm-hmm. So that seems like a manageable thing to do. But I kind of the enormity of an 11 hour drive one day, just me and the dog. And then like a six to seven hour drive the next day, just me and the dog. I was like, I need something else. Yeah. A friend recommended, she was like, if you haven't read any Nora Ephron recently, Highly recommend any Nora Ephron being read on Audible. And so I listened to Heartburn read by Meryl Streep and it was absolutely perfect road tripping listening because of course Meryl Streep starred in the film version but yeah it was great yeah I bet I'm just imagining because I read Heartburn a few years ago and there's like recipes sprinkled throughout it right like she she describes how to cook things and I'm now realizing that Meryl and Austin Butler have that in common like reading aloud (laughs) 
<laughs> recipes that I would really enjoy. It's a butthead reference. Oh my God. Speaking of Elvis, kind of, did you see Sofia Coppola <laughs> is making, is adapting Priscilla's memoir? <gasps> no, I yeah. didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that Little Mermaid film is like not happening. She was, well, they're doing, Disney's doing a new Little Mermaid. I just said yeah, Little so- Mermaid, like it's a rapper. <laughs> Well, Sophia was meant to do Little Mermaid and then apparently it was like too dark and so it was uh, pulled. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I would have loved to see that. But, yeah, she's doing an adaptation of Priscilla's memoir, which really goes in okay. to more of what Baz skipped over, which was like the not great parts of their relationship and how this woman's mm. life, I think, has been defined by like the six years she spent married to a man who – arguably groomed her the jury's out um but jacob alordi australian star of euphoria is going to be playing elvis in it apparently oh wow okay mm. i'm picturing that what about you what have you been up to i've been i mean i went to a very fun dinner party on the weekend my friend oliver um was turning 32 and uh as we all know, in my favorite film of all time, Bridget Jones's Diary, she is that ha- really your favorite film of all time? It's one of them, yeah. It's in my top top four on Letterbox. So, uh, well, see, I'm still learning, still learning. <laughs> Bridget Jones's Diary, the original, is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I rewatched it as I mentioned last week at Christmas when I was a month away from turning 32 and I was like, oh my God, Bridget turns 32 in this movie. It sent me into a little bit of a tailspin, got to be honest. But Mm -hmm. um, she famously wanted to host a grown-up dinner party for her birthday. She tried making soup. It came out blue. Mark Darcy saved the day with a frittata. (laughs) There was a cake with marmalade. You see where it's going. Oliver served all of these foods at his dinner party on the weekend, including blue leek and potato soup um that's good yeah it was really good um his dad was up the night before helping his brother to make a big pot of marmalade for the cake it was really fun and um his brother Anton is one of my oldest and dearest friends and he uh found dozens of really teeny tiny um, kind of like shot glasses or liqueur glasses and had batched up martini mix and so served everyone teeny teenies as we walked in oh. the door, which I'll be honest, I want to drink every weekend this summer, a teeny teeny. Yeah, that, that sounds really good because I love that uh, Gimlet in Melbourne does like a mini martini and it's mm. like the perfect size. So. When when the olive takes up like half the glass, it's perfect because it's really cold the entire time you're drinking it. I love that. Mm. That was my weekend. I've been watching a few things lately that I am now realising are all kind of like of a theme um, and the theme I've decided is the Emily in Paris industrial complex. <laughs> oh, no. Um, oh my god is it like the (laughs) multiverse of emily in paris it truly is it's her tentacles are bleeding into every this analogy is going south Uh, i watched the movie not okay which i saw a bunch of people talking about um i texted you saying it's emily in paris meets 
sick of myself. Yes, <laughs> um, that's right. It's essentially a movie about a woman creating kind of like a uh, a believable lie to make herself more popular. Um, but she, part of the lie is that she was in Paris posting on Instagram and becoming an influencer because she's photoshopping herself in a beret mm-hmm. into little backgrounds. <laughs> um, and then I mean, I never went to Cannes, BL. I just photoshopped myself onto the red carpet. <laughs> onto a red carpet Campari in hand. And then there's a new reality show called Real Girlfriends in Paris or off Paris. And it's all what? it's all like 20-something American women who now live <laughs> in Paris and are friends with each other. And <laughs> do you know what my first thought was instead of like wags, it was Waps, <laughs> <laughs> like wives and girlfriends of Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Waps, yeah, yeah. waps. <laughs> um, so, I mean, look, the show's not great, but will I watch every single episode? Yes, absolutely. How do I watch it? I need to. I it's, need to see that it's dumb on, show. It's on Hey You. In the months that I've been watching Real Housewives on binge, because Hey You's UX was so bad, and I couldn't keep cyberbullying them on Twitter about it. They seem to have improved a few things. So I made the return to oh. Hey You recently for Real Girlfriends in Paris. And look, it's slowly, slowly getting better. So cyberbullying works is what you're saying. I mean, look. You entered into the discourse, <laughs> as you like to say. My, the greatest, hey you my greatest regret, as always, entering discourse. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. what about you in the time that we've been in the same room? What have you been up to? Keeping up, keeping up, um, BL trying to, I mean. Being online. Being online. Um, I didn't watch any of the Emmys except for, uh, Jennifer Coolidge's speech, which I think is probably the only thing I really needed to maybe. Yes. I will also recommend a trio a little tasting mm-hmm. platter, Mike White's <laughs> three speeches. He did two, he did one. And then by the second one, he said, I've been on Survivor and the way that you get far on Survivor is that you make yourself seem kind of like um, not a threat. And I just want everyone to know, cause he's like holding his second Emmy of the night. It was one of those, he went off stage and then had to come back on stage to accept an award from backstage. He was like, I'm just letting you know, I'm not a threat. Please keep giving me work. Please don't kick me off the Island because now I seem like a big dog. Yeah. That was great. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. Love my quiet obs. obs. So, okay, cool. I mean, I looked at what everyone was wearing, of course. Of course. Um, I think Ayo Edibiri looked really cute. Oh, she looked great. That was a great look. Jean Smart, I thought she looked like she'd gotten stuck in the sheets a little bit. Is Christian Siriano the busiest designer of all time. Like he did Jean Smart's dress and like I think maybe like a dozen other ones. Meg Stolter looked really good, I thought. She looked really fun. Noma Kamali dress. I kind of felt like her vibe was a bit going shopping at the spell box before going to a really big night at the bronze, like a very kind of buffy <laughs> look. And I, I dug that. Yeah. I, lo- I started following her um, stylist on Instagram based on – you know, all the tagged photos. And I saw that her stylist also works with like Maggie Rogers and Caroline Polachek and the references for Meg's look were kind of that era, that late nineties era of celebrity where like red carpet was a little bit 
kind of gothy, like the Rose mm-hmm. McGowan, Courtney Love, Drew Barrymore, kind of Siggy's on the red carpet vibe, you know? Uh, into it. I miss it. Yeah. I miss it. Yeah. Yeah. I really loved, um, I mean, Zendaya was my my fave look, that big, mm-hmm. big black, kind of like black tie, Valentino, little headband and a poofy, poofy hair. I really like. It was sweet. It was sweet. I thought Elle yeah. Fanning looked cute. It was cute. I didn't. You didn't? <laughs> well, I was about to say yeah. Zendaya's was kind of like, it was formal, but still youthful. And I feel like Elle Fanning's was formal and kind of like, not matronly isn't the right word, but it was it wore her. I thought her look. Okay, that's fair. Mm. That's fair. Issa Rae. Oh, Issa Rae looked cool. Right, and Amanda Seyfried. Um, they were my faves. Oh yeah, I thought Melanie Linsky. I thought she she did <sighs> she did well with that Same. dress. It was sweet. She right? really did. Yeah. She said on the mm-hmm. red carpet she felt like a bad bitch, which I liked imagining in a New Zealand accent. A bad bitch. A bad bitch. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think we need to talk about the Harry Styles sitch, Chris Pine sitch at all, do we? That's I mean, been done. It's covered. It was covered. It's been covered. Um, thank you to the few, to the handful of See Also listeners who asked for a breakdown on the pod. I think maybe after the maybe after the film comes out and we've both seen it, we'll um we'll go into more detail. Was the drama worth it? You know, we we don't mm. know yet. Something else happened that was exciting, or more exciting, I think, at Venice. Uh, the new Joanna Hogg film premiered. Hogg uh, it's called The Eternal. Exactly. Please rise. It's called The Eternal Daughter. It stars Tilda, who my nephew saw on the street in Edinburgh yesterday. <gasps> yesterday? Tilda. Tilda. Yes. On Emmy's day. Well, it was the day that the Queen was being, uh, her coffin was on its procession up the Royal Mile and he happened to have just arrived in Edinburgh and oh, whoa. saw the whole thing. Yeah. Whoa. And so did mm. Tilda, Tilda was there to see Lizzie. Allegedly, allegedly. It it kind of reminds me of, remember in um, the year 2000 when it seemed like every town in Australia just stood on the street to wave at the Olympic torch. Yes. <laughs> yes. It does feel a bit like that. It's giving torch vibes. It is giving torch. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I did before, like, getting into the car <laughs> to drive for a few days was I took myself finally to see Nope. At 1.30 on a Friday afternoon, I got my glass of wine. I took it into the cinema with a small popcorn and it was heaven. Isn't it so fun? It was so fun. It was just so nice to be in a cinema in the daytime, (laughs) like, but not like a reviewer's session or anything. And and also not an obligatory work session. Absolutely. And it was just like, this is, I had the best time because you saw it a couple of weeks ago. And have been wanting to talk about it um, on this podcast since you saw it. And now that I have seen it, I completely understand and (laughs) know that 
we are going to have to be a little spoilery with this. Yeah, like you get now why it's kind of, I, I gave that warning last week where I was like, just go see Note before our next episode comes out because it's very hard. There's like the, the setup to the story, but then the story itself is kind of, it gets into reveals pretty quickly and for us so fast yeah for us to dig into I mean we all watch the trailers right and we all watch those trailers being like I don't know what the fuck's going on but it's Jordan Peele (laughs) and it's Kiki and it's Daniel Kaluuya and I'm I'm going with it whatever it is and yeah the reveals start coming quite quickly so this is kind of a little warning we're going to be talking about nope we're going to be digging into what happens throughout the film so if you haven't seen it yet don't Don't let us spoil it for you. Maybe just skip this one and come back after you've seen the film or we'll also put a time code in the episode description so that if you want to just jump ahead to uh, the end and hear our recommendations for the week, you can do that too. Yeah, I think that's good because also, I mean, like I was turning off any podcast that spoke about it same because I didn't want anything spoiled for it because it is... I mean, it's just, it's such a delight to get a new Jordan Peele film and to not be able to ascertain what the hell is going on from a trailer. Like, I love that about what he does. And you're like, it's a sci-fi, it's a Western. It could be like a supernatural thriller. It's a drama. Who knows? Who knows? I have seen the film and I still (laughs) don't know. All of the above. It's all of the above. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. So, yeah, so Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer star as an excellent brother and sister team who run this Hollywood horse ranch because they are related to the first black jockey caught on film. Their father set up this thing where they are now like the only black horse wranglers for Hollywood, essentially. Yeah. And their father dies in a fairly mysterious way very early on in the film. And then they have to take over. But mysterious things are happening at the ranch. Mysterious things are happening in the sky. Um, mm-hmm. above what's their what's their part of the world called Agua Dolce? Very remote, um, rural area just outside. Uh, Los Angeles. I just said Los Angeles like Australians do. Outside LA. Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Yeah. So it's kind of all at once, uh, as you said, this film about, you know, this kind of classic Western. um, Stephen Yeun plays a character who has kind of created this Western themed kind of like Sovereign Hill, but for the Wild West, uh, like nearby. And it's very kind of uh, like cosplaying cowboys. You know, he's wearing a nudie suit. There's like howdy partner, howdy partners flying loose everywhere. The film picks up six months after the very sudden death of OJ, Daniel Kaluuya's character and Emerald uh, Kiki Palmer, the death of their dad, who side note is played by uh, Keith David, who um, he's been in a million films and theater and stuff like that. He has that really deep gravelly voice that I think is really um, his signature, I guess. But I feel like Jordan Peele would have got a real kick out of working with him because some of his earliest credits were in The the Thing and They Live. So he's this kind of like cult kind of genre movie fixture. So the film opens with, with his death, objects falling from the sky, and then six months later it picks up, yeah, as his children are trying to kind of carry on, save their struggling ranch. But as 
Horses start disappearing, spooky things start happening in the sky. They start realizing that they are not alone and up in the clouds there is either something in there or the something is... There's this kind of mystery early on of whether there is a ship carrying whatever killed their father, whatever is taking their horses, whatever is doing damage to their home and and affecting the electricity and the batteries and their phone reception, all of these things. And then they, over time, realize that the ship is the entity itself and that the alien and the ship are kind of one and the same. Yeah, it's not a UFO. Like, it is a UFO or a UAI as... Uh, is noted in that is the, that is how you say it these days. Don't dead name the UFO. <laughs> it's not a spaceship. It's the alien itself, mm, mm. which is yeah. So I mean, God, we're really getting into spoilers fast here. I mean, we gave the warning, right? Right. We had we had to give the warning. Yeah, we did it. It's fine. We're in. It's a Jordan Peele film. So, you know, that everything you see means something also like, you mm-hmm. know, get out opens with that little moment of Lakeith Stanfield, like walking down the street in like a um, an area of town. He's not quite sure about the car pulls up. It's playing. Uh, what's the song? Run, rabbit, run. And then he gets captured. You don't see him again for like over an hour into the movie. Mm-hmm. And then in Us, there was that little moment of um, the Lupita Nyong'o character as a child just sitting, staring in front of a TV as that like Hands Across America ad plays, which obviously comes to mean so much in that film. And in uh, in Nope, it opens with this moment of kind of – Pure hell. Pure, it's pure, pure hell. hell. It is hell. like my worst fucking nightmare, yes. that opening scene. On a like live in front of a studio audience sitcom in the 80s where we come to realize a trained chimpanzee called Gordy in the sitcom Gordy's Home has just savagely attacked the cast and crew and you assume audience members of uh, the film and we, we learn that one of the only survivors is dupe the character played by Stephen Yun, who ends up being uh you know decades later the neighbor to the Haywoods on the ranch yes Stephen Yun plays such an interesting character in this film as dupe he of course was in Gordy's home but then he became quite famous for a movie called Kid Sheriff and that is sort of the drive of his western theme park his like very privatized western Mm. theme park and it's revealed that he has this in his office in the theme park. He has a secret room where he has collected all of this cult sort of material from Gordy's home about that, about the show, but also about the chimpanzee attack, which is just, mm. can I say again, absolute worst goddamn nightmare is <laughs> a chimp attack. <laughs> I mean, and like, it's impossible not to go straight to like that Travis story um, from like 2010 or 2011, that chimp who ripped the Charla's face off. Yeah, and hand off. I just remember, God, for some disgusting reason, I heard the audio call, like the ambulance call. Oh, they they Ah! play it in every, like the Oprah interview they played it, the like... (sighs) I saw that they did a recent one, maybe like five, because Oprah talked to her, what, like 
a decade ago and she lifted up the veil and like showed the reconstruction mm. reconstructed area of her face and then i guess they did more transplants and and surgery on on her face and i think it was good morning america or one of those like you know american morning <laughs> good shows um <laughs> did a follow-up interview with her a few years ago and they played the the audio from the 911 right. call as well. Um, it's, mm-hmm. so, it's so distressing. I mean, like, enter at your own risk if you haven't seen it before. But, yeah, there is very much a, a character based on Charla Nash who appears later in Nope. There's a dupe survived the attack. He was hiding and he was also obscured by, like, a tablecloth. So there's this recurring theme in Nope that if you don't look the creature in the eye you can survive its attacks and that's definitely true for the alien OJ and M figure out but but it's also you know there's a theory that that's why that's why Dupe survived Gordy's attack because he was obscured by a sheer tablecloth when that chimpanzee came closer to him but i think throughout the film you get the sense that Dupe has kind of lived his life thinking that he has that surviving that attack made him like special or chosen or a kind of figure who can like do the same to this alien decades later that like he survived one brutal attack and so he could do it again. Mm. And And he tries to commodify it as well by like having this like the star lasso experience, Mm. whatever it's called, where he is essentially trying to get an audience to come and witness an, an yeah. alien attack in the same like way the, he did with that museum, right? Like he's he's yeah. kind of taken his trauma and this horrifying event and like you know turn he's turning a profit out of it. He's um he doesn't know what to do with that distress. Mm. The only way he describes Gordy's attack is to describe the SNL sketch that inspired <laughs> yeah, which really it, made me laugh. Which, side note, finally someone is putting some respect on Chris Kattan's name. <laughs> King of the same thing. King of my life in the 90s. I adore him. I adore, like, Night at the Roxbury, Corky Romano, etc. I thought he was <laughs> such a hunk. But, yeah, so there is a – sorry, I went off track, but there is a character who also survived Gordy's attack but who, like Charla Nash, was, like, severely disfigured from – Gordy's attack. Her character in the film was uh, Mary Jo Elliott and they've kind of dressed her. She's wearing like a sweatshirt that has a the face of her like 80s sitcom character on it. And I was reading this interview with the Nope costume designer who said that it was based on Laura Palmer's like homecoming uh, ah, picture, which I thought you would enjoy. I sure do. Yeah. When I was watching it I and I saw her with that veiled, like this straw hat with a veil over it, I was like, oh, my God, it's Charla. <laughs> like that whole story is so seared into my brain yeah. at all times. And then so I reread the uh, New York Magazine kind of tell-all article from 2011, which we can link to. It's called like... Travis the Menace about the chimp, right? No. God, it is such a sad, <laughs> sad story. But it's one of those like train wreck. It's very impossible to to stop mm. reading it as much as it's, yeah, it's just absolutely horrific. But, okay, so the Sandy who owned Travis or was like guardian of Travis. Also, do you know that after Travis died, she got a friend interstate to 
get another chimp and so that they could co-parent because she wasn't allowed to have one. No. Yeah, and she was buried with Travis's ashes. <gasps> oh, my God. The whole point Charla was, like, doing press about it was to spread the message that, like, chimps are not pets. They are, like, dangerous exotic creatures. I always thought that it was weird that Ross had Marcel on Friends, but I know that's not an ape, but still, it's like, it's no good. No good can come of this. No primates um, but- in the house. <laughs> Exactly. But um, I was when I was reading it, I was, and I don't want to be like total tinfoil hat type about it, but it's very hard not to be when you're talking about a Jordan Peele film, I guess, mm. because everything kind of means something or nothing mm-hmm. and he'll never tell you what it means. But Sandy met Charla at the Loretta Lynn Travelling Rodeo and so Sandy was a professional barrel racer and Charla was an 18-year-old runaway who was rodeoing around the country. And then it says, One day Sandy and Charla spotted a chimpanzee dressed in Western wear who rode a horse around the ring. So there's like all these like weird Western chimp. Yeah. A lot was... Uh, inspired by this story, I do believe. Yeah, totally. Jordan Peele has pulled, I mean, he's pulled from reality. I found this article where like in, they found a tweet that he had done like a decade ago, like in 2014, he tweeted, dreamt that a baby chimp attacked some people, then ran to me and hugged me all scared. I woke up with tears streaming down my face. So I feel like he's been hanging on to this story. Well, he that was brought up in an interview with him recently and he said he does not remember tweeting it, but it was like, oh, I, wow, I just I guess everything is just stored away. Mm. But also in the Travis the Menace article, the day before or the day that Sandy died, it's a kind of a weird thing to include in this article, but it says, back in Connecticut one day last summer, shortly before sunset, Sandy was alone outside feeding the animals. She looked up. A cloud formation resembling a fish's backbone was unspooling against the sky. She found her camera, held it up and clicked. Yeah, so Jordan Peele read Travis the Menace. I don't even, we're not even putting an allegedly in there. (laughs) If you're still listening, it means obviously that you have seen Nope. And so you will know that what Kate just described, this kind of like unfurling thing in the sky, like the alien that we see, at first you're seeing it as kind of this like pill-shaped, you know, classic to dead name it UFO, like pinging back and forth around the sky, hiding behind clouds. But then you start to see this kind of, there's like, it's either its mouth or its eye, perhaps both is this square kind of box that resembles like early, like cinema screens, which really connects to that. The history of the family as like the descendants of like, you know, the jockey in the first ever moving picture. But then, yeah, it starts unfurling, like during the big action sequence at the end, which side note, setting that during the daytime, I love. I love it, love it, love it. I I love a daytime horror. I love a daytime horror. I mean, the scariest part of Michael Myers is that he was just lurking in broad daylight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and everything happens in midsummer. Pretty much everything happens in the day. The sun don't go down there. Also, I saw bodies, bodies, bodies recently, and like everything happening at nighttime, it just 
it took the wind out of it. Anyway, um, we'll talk about that at a, at a later date. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I love a daytime set piece for like a big final action sequence, you know? Mm. Um, and yeah, we see that alien kind of unfurling in this like, what's that word? That great word diaphanous, like kind of like mm-hmm. f- almost fabricy, kind of skeletal, but like billowy at the same time. It could have been designed by Kristen Siriano is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I missed it at the Emmys, I guess. <laughs> but it wasn't scary as well, which I think is significant, you know? Like mm. there's this kind of storyline running through it that this alien is like it's a danger to the people in Agudolce. It's dangerous to them, but it also it's their land, but it's also the aliens' land. You know, they they mm. start to learn that it's like territorial, that it maybe has always been there, or it's at least been there for a long time. It doesn't seem to threaten anyone or anything outside of that like geographical area. So it kind of is like it's in its home, and they're trying to like get rid of it or hurt it. And so as the movie goes on, I'm, I was kind of like, obviously I want OJ and Emerald to like win and be safe and not have like blood pouring down the sides of their house. But at the same, and I want all these horses to be safe, but at the same time, I'm like, I mean, the alien's just protecting itself. Yeah, for sure. It's just hungry. They just really want to take a photo of it. They want to be on the other side of the camera. They don't want to be like the jockeys, if you will. Mm. They want to be Edward Mybridge taking Mm. this photo and sort of using that to commodify the alien and become famous. Like they're seeing it as a way to like prove that alien life forms exist, but also make some money. And that and the Steven Yeun Jupe character is also doing the exact same thing. Like mm. they're just very much trying to, yeah, commodify it. It's not so much about surviving or like being proved right. It's about, yeah, being the being the one to be able to sell the image of it. It's very much, I mean, I think every conversation about Nope has touched on this in some way, but you just can't come away from this film without thinking about like the way that Hollywood consumes people it consumes children and animals and uh you know the people in the like in the background like the horse trainers and the underappreciated kind of like crew that keep the industry going but don't get any of the credit or attention or Mm. money but also like yeah this idea of like capturing all of those things like owning them you have to own the image you have to own the animal yeah Speaking of crew, BL, in the first, like the second scene where they're trying, they take a horse to try to be in a commercial or a film mm. uh, and it doesn't go their way, the guy from the set who comes out to say, like, go home essentially is wearing a vintage Northern Exposure cap that I really want and it does not exist online. Uh. I'm guessing the costume designer found it, but, oh, my God, I was like, Northern Exposure represent I feel like that has to be real because apparently one of those vintage T-shirts that Kiki is wearing, they bought for like $1,000 on eBay. The Jesus Lizard shirt. Yeah. I loved all of the great vintage band T-shirts that were worn in this show. I loved Kiki Palmer's whole look and vibe in this film. She was really on some like kind of 90s, late mm. 80s trip with it and I was 100% there for it. Apparently she, the two inspirations she 
brought into the character were Marty McFly. So you're fully right on the like 80s, 90s kind of shorts and bum bags, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. But then the other reference point was her own dad. (laughs) This kind of like walking into a room, standing in a doorway, being like, now what's going on in here? Kind of that's the energy (laughs) she brings to everything. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, she has this kind of bordering on like soft mask vibe in it and mm-hmm. it's it's really very very good you know it flits a couple of times between the time that their dad passed away and then six months later when all of this is going on and the the way that you're tracking the differences in like the Carhartt cap versus like a different kind of cap that that Daniel Kaluuya's <laughs> character is wearing but also yeah. as it goes back and forth I was just really struck by like I mean he's an incredible actor his eyes do so much he's like you know he's very British in real life so his vocal performance is always incredible in these American films but his physicality in this film made me kind of quite emotional you know like he's so still and he's so like turned inward you know when he's on set with like Hollywood people and he can't like sell his role or do like the safety demonstration Mm. he needs his like more extroverted sister to do that he's kind of you know his shoulders are turned in and he's like really really solid and still and then not that he was like more kind of like gregarious or like um expressive before their dad passed away but when the film does flick back you see like oh he's like portraying grief and stress in such a physical way like this character does not say a lot he doesn't let a whole lot out but you see it in like his spine almost and I really loved the like different energy between the brother and sister but also there was such an incredible chemistry between them as siblings. Like it was so instantly, like even though they're so different, it was so instantly believable that they were siblings. Totally. And I I love when you see that in a film. And we haven't even talked about Brendan Perea, who is so good as Angel, who's like their tech guy who they just meet at like, the, you know, what the local tech shop, the Fries, shitty tech shop, yeah. Fries, uh, who comes out to install video cameras and then becomes kind of a big part of it. Uh, he is so great and I've been reading all these interviews with him and about how he got the role and with this one he played the character totally different in the audition as to what it was on the page because, like, the character was meant to be this really upbeat sales guy and he was like, nobody who works in one of those shops is upbeat. They don't want to be there. And so he played it in that way. And then John Peel rewrote the character for the way that uh, Brendan Perea performed it. Oh, wow. Just a, so brilliant in this and, like, so obviously just, like, on board with whatever Jordan Peel wants to do because, mm-hmm. as we know, with his films – he doesn't always give a lot away. And, like, with this film, he gave the cast a couple of films to watch. We've discussed before, you and I, Jinxie, but some of these I haven't seen. So they're now, like, on my list of things to watch. There's, I mean, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That's one that you recommended to me recently, right? Alien, which I love. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Jaws, which is, I mean, the parallels between Jaws and Nope are very strong. Very strong. Uh, we've got we've got an exploding gas uh, kind of like final act, and then No Country for Old Men, which I haven't ever seen either. So oh, great. Yeah, I mean, I would take a job based on 
that list with no story to go off, especially with Jordan Peele, you know. Yeah, totally. I read that um, the cinematographer, who's incredible, referenced the Western Heaven's Gate for the final scene. Also, Heaven's Gate is also, of course, a UFO religious cult. So there's Mm. just, there's a lot of see also's happening is what Mm. I'm saying. Mm -hmm. There are truly so many. One of my see also's for this one is this article from Vulture where they've basically asked a bunch of people on the Vulture staff critics about what the alien means. You know, there's the alien is us, the alien is climate change, the alien is something else. The alien is Hollywood theory is like that's that's my that's my hypothesis for the film, you know. It's it's got the little screen inside its mouth or eye or whatever. Even like the billowy fabric kind of looks a little bit like a the fabric over like an old timey photographer's, you know, the the little what is it? Like the little room they go into. Um, <laughs> yeah, the you know, veil. Like in the film Godland. <laughs> Um, But anyway, so Alison Wilmore on Vulture said, and I'll link to this whole article in the show notes, she said, Dupe tries to harness the UFO, willfully spinning out a narrative in which the flying object is the vehicle of benign visitors from space. He names them the viewers as though they're watching humanity, like we're a TV show. But that's exactly the kind of thinking you'd expect from someone who'd been churned up and spit out by Hollywood, but who nevertheless only wants back in. Like if you try hard enough, you can really turn Hollywood into something benevolent through sheer force of will instead of a gaping maw poised to devour you whole. John Peel has said that he wrote it during the pandemic, like in 2020, and that at the time he was really trying to write or had it in mind that he wanted to make something very cinematic, like very theatrical Mm. that would mean that people would come to the cinema to see it. It was very much Mm. a like see it first in the cinema. Mm. And I think that the, it is one of those films that that experience is really special. Yeah. He's like made a film that is a spectacle to see on a big screen about a spectacle, you know, it's this, this nice loop. That starts yeah. with a biblical passage about a spectacle. Like yeah, it's all, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, there's a lot of great music in the film as well, and I especially liked the kind of um, it's called the Jean Jacket mix of sunglasses at night, and just the way they use music throughout the film to like signal safety or like business as usual compared to like danger was really fun. Yeah, I loved the use of that song. And, like, as we know, he loves a slow-down tune in a film, but this was a really, really special one. Mm. I've only got one C also, apart from the sorry for anyone who reads or rereads that Travis the Menace article, (laughs) but if I have to, so do you. I can't take that trauma on myself. But John Peel did Anatomy of a Scene for New York Times of the scene where he goes over to Jupiter's claim after the star lasso experience has happened and nobody is there and there's a pig on the roof essentially and that's it and Daniel Kaluuya is, is, is investigating essentially. John Peel says in it that he was trying to conjure the Jonestown massacre in it, like when he arrives and doesn't quite know what is what he's going to find. Yeah, right. It's really like nice to hear him 
having to speak about the film mm. in like a this is what happens and this is the a definitive way. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yes, it's good. I love those anatomies of a scene. Look, this is a this is a nebulous scene also, but there's part of this film where Emerald yells at her brother, run, OJ, run. And it got a really big laugh in the cinema I was in just from me. So my see also for everyone is OJ Made in America, the seven hour Ezra Edelman documentary. I mean, it was on TV, it was on ESPN a few years ago as a series, but it was designed to be watched all in one sitting as a seven hour kind of experience. And that too goes into the consumption of black bodies by America. You know, that run OJ run comes from like commercials that OJ Simpson did where he was like selling his image and his skills and persona, etc. Look, not a not a great guy, I'm just gonna say, but mm-hmm. he, he was used up by Hollywood, also a bit I'm gonna go out on a limb and say <laughs> OJ Simpson bit probo. Wow, that's that's huge, huge news. You heard it here first. Controversial opinion. There was a cast roundtable from EW that I really enjoyed that I'll put a link to. And there was also, like Vulture has done a bunch of great stuff on Nope, including that um, interview I mentioned earlier with the costume designer where they broke down like what all the vintage shirts mean in the film. But Robert Daniels also wrote a piece on Vulture on kind of like a, a listicle about black horror films that I am really excited to like dig into and see a bunch of stuff on that list because there's some stuff that I've never even heard of. It's time for Also Also's. This is a little bit at the end of every episode. Also, if you skipped over the um, the nope convo, thanks for joining us again. This is where Jinxie and I take turns offering up recommendations of stuff we've been enjoying lately. My first one is a watch also. It's the TV series Made for Love. Did you ever watch this, Jinxie? No, but a friend of mine posted about this today on Instagram and I have never heard of it before and it looked great. I feel like I've heard it mentioned, I'm going to say four to five times in the last two years. Like it's just, it has not been on my radar I don't know what it is about it because after we had our the resort combo last week and we talked about how much we loved Palm Springs, someone mentioned to me, because I've been gushing about the resort in my real life as well, someone was like, oh, that's the girl from Made for Love. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's something that comes up when you, you know, Google Christian Milioti. And I looked into it and I'm already like a chunk of the way through season two. So I'm I'm like powering through it, really enjoying this series. It got it was announced it got cancelled recently as part of the HBO merger with like Warner and Discovery. So, I mean, they now have a habit of like just deleting past programs. So maybe seek it out as a matter of urgency just in case something happens. But yeah, it premiered, its first season premiered last year. It stars Kristen Milioti as this woman who is married to, has been married to a tech billionaire uh, for 10 years and she escapes and goes back to reunite with her like deadbeat alcoholic dad um, played by Ray Romano. Mm. And in one little clip, you see her as a child with him as this dad who you see he's like drinking a lot and her mom is having to kind of like pull him into line. Mom played by Ioni Sky. But the tech billionaire husband, Byron, is played by Billy Magnuson, who I just 
I have loved since seeing him in Ingrid Goes West. He plays Elizabeth Olsen's like <gasps> scary, hot, rich cunt brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that role doesn't even get a mention on his Wikipedia page because he has been in like so much <laughs> stuff, including Into the Woods, which I've never seen the screen adaptation of. But he was in Many Saints of Newark. And speaking of OJ, as we were before, he played Cato Kalin in American Crime Story. And he was also in... Whit Stillman's film Damsels in Distress, which when I saw it pop up on his Wikipedia, I was like, oh, I remember being excited about that 10 years ago and just never watched it when it came out. I really enjoyed it. Okay. I loved that film. I love Whit Stillman's film. I mean, love. I actually interviewed him for that film. Oh, really? Um, he was so delightful. I bet. he. I don't know what that film is about because, again, I have completely forgot as soon as it came out. But, you know, Whit Stillman makes such great films about, like, class and the elite and wealth and all of that. And, like, Billy Magnuson just has the perfect evil rich prick face. And I originally wrote in my notes for this – sorry, this is a long one – I originally wrote that it is adapted from a book that I didn't know existed by a writer that I love, Alyssa Nutting. But then when I Googled it, I realized that I have that book behind me on this shelf somewhere. (laughs) I bought it when it came out. It has this really distinctive, like airbrushed cover and whoopsies. I never read it, but Alyssa Nutting wrote the book Tampa. I don't know if you ever read that. Um, Oh yeah. 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 Which I read years ago. She like saw that a woman she went to high school with was arrested for like being a sexual predator of her like male students. And so she wanted to like dig into this story about the double standards of gendered violence and grooming and all of that when when it's a woman who is the perpetrator. Um, So anyway, that's my recommendation for the TV show Made for Love. It's streaming on Stan in Australia. I've got to listen also. There's a new Wise Blood song out. I feel like I've been waiting for this for years. Oh, yeah. Although she did have a song on like the Minions movie soundtrack or like a Trolls soundtrack Every- or something. Everyone's been on that <laughs> Minions soundtrack, i got to I got to say. Um, there's a new Wise Blood song that's not on a <laughs> Minions soundtrack. It's called It's Not Just Me, It's Everybody, and it's from her upcoming album, uh, which is called And In The Darkness, Heart To Glow, but it's not out until the 18th of November, so there's a long time <sighs> to wait. It's the second album in a trilogy that started with her last album, Titanic Rising. But this new song is, I don't know, it's just a, if you're a fan, it's nice to just have a little, a new little jewel to listen Mm. to, to pop into your playlist. God, she's good. I have a pod also. It's an episode of Ezra Klein's New York Times podcast called The Office is Dying. It's time to rethink how we work. And this is kind of like a, uh, a very like buttoned up nine to five BL recommendation, but I have found myself kind of referring to this podcast a bunch, recommending it to people, especially at my office job. And also just thinking about it now that I'm like going back to an office dealing, you know, you deal with different people's different personalities, different working styles, all of that kind of thing when you're no longer just a freelancer. So on this episode, the editor of the podcast, uh, Roger Karma, hosts it. And the guests are Anne Helen Peterson, who I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be familiar with. She wrote like the viral article on burnout a few years ago for BuzzFeed. Uh-huh. And it also features her husband, Charlie Warzel, and they together, he's a technology reporter, writes the newsletter Galaxy Brain for The Atlantic. She writes the newsletter Culture Study these days. And they um, published a book together, which I didn't know until I listened to 
this called Out of Office, The Big Problem and Bigger Promise of Working from Home. They basically moved from New York to um, Montana like five years ago and so had all these experiences of working remotely for outlets in you know, on the different coasts. And then obviously everyone else did the same. And so they had this kind of head start, but they also, you know, interview a lot of people and do a lot of research. Sounds like the book's really great, but this podcast is just, it's so good. They say all this stuff about like LARPing, people LARPing their jobs as this, like, there's all this anxiety about like job security. And so to make it seem like to doing all the like visible cues of quote unquote work, like sending a lot of emails or booking in a lot of meetings, which actually interfere with getting anything done. Um, I've been there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, You know, some of us might be dealing with that this week. Uh, (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, it's really great. A lot of great quotes in it. And they also have this, you know, they're talking about like the ideal office layout and, And Helen Peterson has this really great comparison that what like a big corporate office should resemble is like a college library where like, yeah, we're all going there to work, but in some places you're doing deep, quiet study. And in other places you're there because it's social and you want to talk to people and you want to collaborate or you want to hang out, you know? So yeah, it's really great. I really enjoyed it. And I think I'm going to do like a re-listen, which is rare for like an a podcast that goes for over an hour. I've got a nerd also, BL. Love. And I'm really embarrassed and ashamed to include this one, but I feel I must for authenticity's sake. While I had, what's it called, RSV, that virus, a couple of weeks ago, which you can very hear in my voice uh, (laughs) in the last podcast episode. I thought I sounded fine by the time we recorded that. And then I listened back and was like, oh, wow, go to bed, babe. Anyway, (laughs) um, so it is a game that I got really obsessed with when I was sick and I couldn't, it was like when I couldn't really watch anything, I certainly couldn't email, I couldn't read a book at all. And uh, a friend of mine Claire, if you're listening, I hate you for introducing it to me, but I also love you for it. It's called Wildflowers. It's by a Melbourne studio called Studio Dry Dock. It's a quote unquote cozy game. I am not a gamer. I do not play the games. I do like Wordle and Spelling Bee, you Mm -hmm. know, like, but this is not something I like is part of my life, Mm -hmm. but this is like a role-playing game I guess that's what you call it and it's really cute and it's about this girl Tara who arrives on this island and her she's looking after her her sick grandmother and it turns out she's a witch and (laughs) you have to like (laughs) like look after farmyard animals and go mining for like special emeralds and that kind of thing but you're also going to coven meetings in the forest after dark and okay (laughs) so made for you yeah totally but it gets better it's also a totally like queer game like part of it is dating in the show in, in the game and tara has a bunch of like maybe six or something dating options and 
men and women and a non-binary butcher. Like there's a lot going on in this. What's the name of it again? It's called Wildflowers and it's spelled uh, W-Y-L-D. Of course. My last one is a listen also. I'm going to be brief because you don't need another essay from me, but I've been revisiting Erica Dicassier's album Essentials. Came out in 2019. It has my favorite song of hers, Puppy Love, on it. And I'm very excited to see her in December. She's coming to Australia. She's playing Meredith and a handful of sideshows. And I just adore her. She's very dreamy. I've been listening to that album like on repeat all over again. Uh, My last one is a watch also, and it's for you to watch also so that we can talk about it soon. Okay. It's Bad Sisters. It's on Apple. Uh, My friend Corey recommended it and it is such a like delightful, funny, bad show in a good way. (laughs) It's about these five Irish sisters and they all, four of the five, detest one of their husbands played by Klaus Bang, who we know from The Square. And he is just one of the worst male characters I have seen in like on screen in years. He's repugnant but played in such a kind of hideously charming way and it opens with him being dead and you work back there from perhaps the sisters Mm. were involved question sharon horgan is one of the creators and she stars in it great cast irish big little lies it is kind of that yeah Thanks so much for listening. As always, please follow us on Instagram if you haven't already, at See Also Podcast. Uh, share this episode with your friends if you think they'd enjoy it, if they've seen Nope, etc. And leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if you have a second. Thank you to Samuel Hodge for our incredible artwork and Harvey Sutherland for our original theme music. See ya. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.